Off-season talk in full swing on the BWI Live Show. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. Our experts are here to bring you the nuance, the insight, and, you know, some general other thoughts on what's going on during Penn State football's off-season. It's never over. News is never done. And that's why Nate Bauer and Sean Fitz are here with me today on the show to discuss what happened this week, including a Penn State roster reset. One of my favorite things is always to talk about the roster, the depth chart, the fall, all that stuff on the show today. But we're talking to you as well. Uh, This is a player-driven show. You guys are in the lead. You guys are the leaders of the show. So if you want your questions on the air, drop them in the chat. We're going to have an extended mailbag show today as well. So as I mentioned, I'm Thomas Frank Carr, Nate Bauer, Sean Fitz. Guys, how are you doing today? And uh, um, how much golf have you guys been getting in? Nate, I know this is a very important topic for you. A little bit of golf, a little bit yeah. of golf. I play. I had a Monday outing at Lancaster Country Club, which was a treat and a delight. Fits. I see so the fancy. I know the scoring on your. I paid for this one, uh, but still, it was great. I have a little bit of a sunburn. I don't know if you can see my lip. Uh, I, you know, it's always the lips. I always get sunburn, and it's bad. I mean, I, I don't know what to do about it. I guess you. They have SPF. Chapstick, yes. You you, know. you have some things at your disposal include. Although I, I'm not a hat guy. I imagine Nate, you're not much of a hat guy. Oh, I'm a huge hat guy. I'm a no. massive hat guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Not uh no bucket hats, no weird stuff, but on a golf course. Elitist. What? <laughs> he anyway. hasn't been out at camp for six hours where you need the bucket hat, has he fits? I had the bucket hat in the uh in the bag the other day. Brian Stumpf came up and I had my hood up because the, you, you learn these things. You keep the sun off of you, you're okay. So I'm, I'm actually a nice little tan already. So it's it's kind of natural on this end. But uh, can't we can't all we can't all have it. I'm sorry, Nate. Not not on, <laughs> not fair, on my I mean, end. If if you if you're if you want us to be honest, the lips blend into the rest of your face, so it's fine. <laughs> I, I told I told the guys I told the guys that I was paired with on Monday. I said I was like, listen, uh, just so you're aware, don't be alarmed if by like three or four o'clock this afternoon I'm a bright bright red, uh, and that seemed to you know prevent the hey man, did you put on sunscreen? <laughs> Well, we'll have all summer to discuss that. We do have something this week that I think a lot of people really like, which is seeing the new guys. And we have another Penn State roster update on our hands. And this one is a big update because it involves both uh, recruits coming in from the class of 2023 and the transfer portal. So we're going to break into both of those groups today. Uh, Nate had a couple of articles about the the transfers. And of course, Fitz is the leading uh, recruiting expert, Um, of course also follows the transfer portal but we'll be discussing these guys and uh you know their setup on the roster so nate i'm going to come to you first it's a yep. bit of a shorter list with these guys uh, especially the big names dante cephas and um trey potts what have you learned what have been your conversations about how these guys fit on the roster and what we're expecting from them at this point given it's it's the 24th of may and they're being added to the roster not the 24th of january yeah. So I, I, I had an interview with James Franklin last uh, Tuesday, like not yesterday, two Tuesdays ago. And I was able to ask about the three incoming guys. And, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of a combination of this is just what he does of 
minimizing expectations, right? Right. <laughs> like, he doesn't he doesn't let you get carried away in terms of what the projected impact is for a guy until he's on campus and has spent some time. And I mean, I think that that is pretty consistent through, through James Franklin's time and through the things that he said about the transfers, but you know, no surprise talking about Trey Potts and Alonzo Ford and Dante Cephas. Much of the conversation was literally uh, the, the quote, we'll see Alonzo Ford quote. We will see. Dante Cephas, we'll see, <laughs> right? So you, there's, there's a little bit of a trend there. You, you, you kind of get the idea that, look, um, as opposed to, say, a Chop Robinson, which became quickly apparent, the, the impact that he was going to make, and I think Franklin talked about that a little bit and framed it in those terms, I don't know that I would characterize his comments about any of those, the other three guys in, in the same context, right? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't you... know that you're talking about all big 10 guys necessarily, but mm-hmm. guys that can help uh, address some of the needs they have for depth and, and, you know, helping, uh, helping those positions in need. I, I know you started this whole conversation by saying we're tamping down expectations in this conversation and that's what he's trying to do. But, um, Little surprise, Dante Cephas. The the it has been a very quiet transition into campus. Um, even given that, uh, it, did did Amari Evans really make that big of an impact and of a breakout in the final week of spring ball, where you're now saying, okay, Dante Cephas can be a role player? Like Fitz, it, it, this seems like a little bit of maybe too much underplaying what Dante Cephas is supposed to bring to the roster, which was that veteran presence at a key position. Am I, am I reading that wrong? I, I think you're overreaching here. Like it's, he's been here for two weeks and mm-hmm. the, the, what James or what Nate is talking about, James is his general approach. I, th- I also think he had more time to digest chop by the time we talked to him. Like, I mean, Nate talked to him, talked to those guys and they've been on campus for, not even a week yet. I think. Mm-hmm. A day, a, a day. Yeah. So I, I think <laughs> yeah. you, I think you're, you're reaching a little bit on that one. So, I mean, I, I've got some stuff coming up um, to, to look into some of the other ones. We're also uh, adding a Davian Collins in here. I don't think he was uh, in the conversation whenever Nate uh, talked to James. Um, so, you know, you got those four new guys on there. The expectations are going to be what they are. Dante Cephas is going to be expected to come in and, and be a part of that rotation and be a part of the guys that, start play whatever and then i think you label the other three as you know what what i guess setting i guess you set the expectations for the other three trey Potts you set as a third running back which what are you going to hear out of a third running back that's not going right. to be just like okay he can be a, a depth guy great that's what he's that's what he's here for alonzo ford coming in he's got some work to do on his body as coming from old dominion that's what you should expect out of him and we sort of put him in the back end of that rotation as setting the expectation uh, Davian Collins is not Storm Duck. He's not going to be a guy that comes in and plays right away, but he's got a guy that's got a couple of years. So I, I just think realistically, there's not a ton that you can take away in on May 24th when they've been here for two weeks. So I think that's that would be my approach on all this. They've gotten in, they've started lifting, they've gotten in lifting groups, they've started test, they've done some testing and things like that. So outside of speculating about their size, which is pretty much as reported actually exactly as reported with the exception. I think we had Dante Cephas at 185. Yeah. Um, then, you know, that's, that, that's pretty much all we can take away so far and, and just set the expectations and check back in a couple of weeks and see if we've got something uh, to, to, to play with there, especially with Cephas. I mean, 
you, you got to look at these guys realistically. And, you know, they're coming from programs where they're probably going to have some catch up to do, uh, maybe with the exception of Collins, going to have some catch up to do on a strength and conditioning uh, aspect of, of of the program. So we'll check in in a couple of weeks. Lift for Lifetime will probably have a better idea of what's uh, what's going on. And, and I guess, excuse me, wow, I don't know where that came from. Uh, just hone in on the expectations. Not so much reset the yeah. expectations, but hone in on where more specifically these guys are going to fit. And did you bring in a guy to play 10 snaps a game? Can, can Alonzo Ford play 10 snaps a game? Like that, yeah. that's kind of what we'll, th- what we'll get into in a couple of weeks. But we'll see how these guys uh, assimilate into the program and go from there. Is that how you feel about the uh, incoming freshmen as well? I know we've talked about them kind of in a uh, what we saw from them in high school and we project their game a little bit, but is that kind of the same way you feel about these young guys on the roster as well, given that uh, they pro- we probably know a little bit more because of the coverage and uh, of them than we do some of these transfers where the the time has been a little bit shorter that we've been getting to know them? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you're always going to have a big jump that you probably underestimate every year. Like... We're looking at Rappelye, King, and, and Dakari Nelson as three guys that can, you know, if you were putting them in on NCA 14, you had these guys with these body types with this athleticism. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, that's obviously not the case for how that works out. Um, but you look at that group, and those are the three that jump out as, as potential guys that can, you know, backdoor their way into special teams and then all of a sudden get on the field, actually get on the special teams and then back their, backdoor their way in the field as position. Sorry, I got that one backwards. Um, but those those are the, really the three guys based on, not only the feedback we get from from program sources, but also just kind of how they're built. Like this is college football. This is for big people. No offense to King Mac, 5'10", uh, 175, but he's a heck of a football player. And we know this, but Dakari Nelson comes in in that mold that that guy can play right away. Mm-hmm. Andrew Rappelier, 6'4", 235. I think he told me he was 242 when it coming in. So like those guys are the ones that fit. Whereas you've got Tyreek Blanding as a 265 defensive tackle. That's going to take some time. Yep. Um, Kevion Keys, 195. Tony Rojas did it, but Tony Rojas came in with a different uh, sort of opportunity coming in in January. And then the running backs and Joseph Mupoy, who has the size, but I think we can all agree has a ways to go in terms of getting there, um, you know, from a football standpoint. Got a, a lot of appreciation in the chat. I love this. Thank you so much. Chris says, yeah, Sup, guys, thank nice. you for what Thanks you do. Good. Um, who else was in here? Uh, Mike, Mike regular. He's here with us today. He says, give the video a like as always. Thank you. Uh, subscribe to blue White illustrated here on YouTube. Like the video because as M Rob says, good Lord, you guys are just cranking out the content impressive, especially during the off season. That's what we do. That's what we're here to do is talk to you about Penn State football, basketball. And I like this time of year because we can get into there's a little more breathing room where we're a little more of a podcast instead of just a news update sometimes, where we can get into some concepts and some some deeper things uh, to discuss maybe some stuff off the field as well. we got some questions that came in even before the show started. We'll get to those in the mailbag. Uh, but right now I want to talk to you about today's show sponsor, and that is Rogue Shop. RogueShop.com is the sponsor of the BWI Live Wednesday show, and uh, they're here because they want to help you with uh, any sort of issues you may have in your life that cause you chronic problems. CBD and THC are great ways to help reduce inflammation and help with pain, sleep, uh, comfort, all those things. So if you haven't yet, check out rogueshop.com. That's where you can get uh, 10% off your purchase with rogueshop.com when you use the promo code BWI. Uh, CBD, let's talk about CBD, scientifically proven to reduce inflammation throughout the body. Um, Delta 8 THC is something that they can offer 
uh, blocks pain receptors and helps with sleep. Um, there's, I don't know how all of this works. I still don't know how all of this works, but according to Rogue Shop, when, when we were talking, by law, they can have a little bit more uh, Delta-8 THC, and that it's, so it works much better for sleep, keeping you asleep, and blocking pain during the night. So those are just some of the things they can do with their uh, what they provide for you. HHC, very similar to Delta-9 and Delta-8, but has been uh, gives you a little bit more of a daytime effect for what you uh, can use during the day, during the night. They have different products for different uh, maladies you're trying to solve. So check out rogueshop.com. Use promo code BWI for 10% off. You can also go to uh, the Blue White Illustrated message board. You can always talk to Mr. Rogue there if you have any questions as well. So thanks again to Rogue Shop for sponsoring the show as always. Guys, uh, transitioning here. As always, clunky when I'm trying to talk and push buttons at the same time. But there's been a little bit of off-season news. Nate, I'm coming to you with basketball. The roster's nearly complete. Every time we've talked about this, you've said, I don't know. We need to see what the, the picture is. First off, when are yeah. we doing our next hoop show? Secondly, do you have any thoughts uh, uh, now that the roster's complete? W what do you see? Uh, so not quite complete. They have one more scholarship to fill. There's 13 scholarships available and 12 of them are now filled. And I'm going to butcher these pronunciations, but... Uh, well, I'm just, I'm actually not going to pronounce the other kid's <laughs> last name. Bragi Gudmundsen, uh, who is Icelandic. Uh, he's, he's a 19 year old kid. He'll be 20 by the time that the season starts for Penn state. Uh, he, he's a kid who was playing professional basketball in Iceland, got kind of working through those ranks, uh, who committed last week to Penn state and then, uh, favor Iray, um, who I want to say is Nigerian. Nigerian, but I, I can't exactly remember his um, his nationality. He was a kid who he's a center, six ten center, who played at Miami last year. Didn't see a lot of action. Didn't see a lot of time. He's from Maryland. Um, was where he played his high school ball. He, um, yeah, thanks, Mike. <laughs> he he played his uh, his high school ball uh, in Maryland. Didn't work out at Maryland or at Miami. Excuse me. Uh, and and has since transferred to Penn State. So, you know, the uh, the final pieces of the puzzle, right? I think it's important to to set expectations accordingly. I'm not trying to be a wet blanket, but right. these are guys who are developmental pieces to yeah. the program and uh, also have time in front of them, right? Uh, Broggy counts as a true freshman. He's a class of 2023. That's how he classifies. Uh, and, you know, Favor um, is... is a, a rising, I believe he kept his red shirt. Um, okay. So, you know, so he's a guy who's got four years ahead of him. So yeah, these are from, sorry to interrupt, but from what no, I've seen, ahead. there's, there's a good smattering, even if they're veteran guys, guys that had former pedigree in terms of highly rated recruits or guys that were known. Uh, maybe they didn't work out at the previous school. And that's what you're talking about when you're saying like there's development here, guys that have talent, but need to be developed. And, and maybe it didn't work out at the first stop. That's, that's a, a portion of the guys that have come in. Is that, is that a fair representation of that? Yeah, very much so. Very okay. much so. They, and, and Mike Rhodes, Mike Rhodes was on John Rothstein's, uh podcast last week. And it's, it's I, I, as far as I could tell the first, since his introduction, like his intro introductory press conference that he's spoken um, kind of publicly. And obviously they've had this way. They, they had uh, 10 scholarships to fill. There were yeah. three guys at one point that were, that were made in the program after last season. So it's just been this sprint of trying to, to 
build a roster really from scratch. Uh, but what he said on on Rothstein was like, hey, this isn't this isn't the norm. This isn't what we're going to try to do in the future. But also, th- they have even within the context and the construct of the transfer portal have managed to to disperse the scholarships among the classes fairly well. They really haven't gone heavy in any singular direction. It's not like they have seven guys who have one year of eligibility remaining that they brought onto the roster. So I think that helps. I think that helps because you can kind of, you can kind of balance through retroactive kind of retroactively build your recruiting classes starting from uh, starting from a different point, but kind of getting those that eligibility as well. So um, you said the the last time was on uh, the Rothstein podcast. Uh, Next time that uh, Mike Rhodes is speaking, it's going to be a little more local, right? Uh, yes, he he is anticipated. Well, he will. He'll, he's going to speak on the morning of June second. It's next Friday to the media before coaches versus cancer. So uh, clearly, we will have um, some stuff from him then. Uh, I believe I'm participating in that event, so I think you might be the guy the guy corralling some of that information. But yeah, uh, yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good, honestly, just to to get him t- talking to some Penn State people um you know get get him on the record get get him talking about some of the things that they've done over these first two months because really they wanted to focus like a lot on this building process but now that they've more or less completed that process um you you know they're gonna start they're gonna start the process of actually um developing right, right? like right. putting putting in their system having practices uh you know this summer that things get really started uh for their eight weeks in the second s- summer semester that's when all the guys are, are projected to, to come in and formally start working nick kern and ace baldwin i know are already here um there's a couple other guys who were probably gonna make their way in and start uh, at penn state but the classes and that kind of stuff doesn't really begin until i believe june 26 I can't exactly remember the date but around then well we'll get into all this a little bit more on a future Penn State Hoops podcast we promised that'd be coming back when it was worthy and important and I think we're at the end of this transitionary period so we should probably get some some something on the record in, in the near future Nate and I will be working on that but one of the things also that came out this uh the, recently this week um we're going to start with the end result and then we're going to work our way back to what happened here with Penn State Uh, and their situation in the Big Ten with their contract situation with television networks. So it's this whole intricate thing. We're going to start with Penn State is playing a Black Friday game against Michigan State. Ryan Snyder was all over that, Um, giving you that information on the Blue White Illustrated message board long before it became officially public. So make sure you subscribe to Blue White Illustrated uh, so that you don't miss any of that insider information. $29.99 from now until uh, six months from now, whenever you sign up, you get six months for that great deal. And I would say you should just sign up for a year so you don't ever have to worry about it. But Fitz, I'm going to come to you here on this one. Um, in terms of when you have to play a Friday game, having it be the final game of the season uh, against Michigan State, is that uh, Penn State getting, uh, I don't want to say the easy way out, but that seems like an advantageous place to have that Friday game. Is that fair to say? Uh, you got your mic on. Uh, you got your mic muted here uh, to start. Definitely. Sorry, I was trying to keep uh, the background noise out of there. Yeah, I, I would say given the choices that you had, number one is opening week, which we saw Purdue last year. Like you you want it. You want to give yourself extra time afterward. This one, 
I, I think it's kind of random. I mean, it, it maybe going into or coming out of a buy, maybe that helps you. Um, so that's number two. And then I guess at the end of the season, that makes sense as well. Um, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an advantage anywhere after that first week or after a buy or going into a bye week, excuse me, coming out of a bye week. I don't know why I keep saying that. Um, Penn state's not a fan of it. Like they pushed back on it, but they only have so much, um, you know, weight to throw around in a situation like that. So I, I don't think they're happy about it. Like I, I think they'd rather play on Saturday get you more time to do your actual prep, stay in your practice uh, routine and things like that. So I think that that's where you would say, I mean, it's just not a big, not a big advantage for, I mean, it's not an advantage for Michigan state either, but it's not right. a, not something that Penn state would want to do. So I think they, again, push back, but there's only so much you can do. If you read the the Pete Thamel article, which is well-researched as of all of his stuff is, um, then you get a pretty good idea that Penn state was not, uh, not really the first people they went to, to make this decision. Um, as a cover of the team, I don't mind it. I mean, Black Friday is an interesting one. They're, yeah. I mean, they're not the first team to ever play on a Friday, so it's not throw that that uh, you know that this is some crazy sort of idea. Um, but you know, it does change some things. It'll change their travel schedule. Um, yeah, of course, Thanksgiving's then, so it'll change th- how they handle Thanksgiving. So you know, it's just uh, another thing that they have to uh, get ready for. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, Penn State doing what they did for the conference. I guess you could say that. Nate, I know you got some some better information on this one because you talked to some more people. But, uh, boy, Kevin Warren, huh? How about that guy? Right. (laughs) Yeah, uh, just one last thing I wanted to ask because it came up kind of in – I thought about it and we were talking about how it affects things. It also is that from a recruiting standpoint, that's after most of the the season is over for a lot of recruits, so you're not going to be missing a lot of high school games. But it is during playoff runs, I imagine. So is that – the, the game and winning the game is obviously the number one thing, but travel when it comes to recruiting has also been something they talk about around these games, but it's always been be- middle of the year, early of the year. We want to go out. We want to pres- preserve high school football sanctity on Friday. Um, from from that perspective, is this um, good, bad, neutral when it comes to recruiting and making an impact on guys heading into the signing period in December? I, th- I think neutral because it's an away game. Okay. Like if it were a home game, that would change some things. Um, but most of these guys are done their season anyway. Like the, by by that point in November, most of these guys are out of it. So I, I think it's pretty neutral, especially because it's an away game. Last year, if you looked at the post-Thanksgiving game, they did get some guys in that had to you know finish out their seasons or couldn't get to other places. I think Liam Andrews was there. Dewan Lane was there. So some pretty good big targets in this next cycle. So that's always a weekend. It's kind of a mixed bag. Whereas you've got some guys that want to stay with fan or have to stay with family and celebrate Thanksgiving and do all that stuff. And then you've got some guys that just weren't able to do it throughout the season that come in. So you, you give a little, you, you get a little, but that's for a home game. This is for an away game. I'm not sure how the, um, I'm not sure how the turnout's going to be. I will say it'll be interesting to see the visitor list at Michigan state. And then the next day, Ohio state, Michigan have. So there's a lot of overlap geographically with prospects yeah. there. Will you get some guys, going to that black Friday game and then going to the game the next day, possibly. I mean, I I don't know how big that Venn diagram is with the overlap, um, but they've, they've, there's certainly an opportunity there for some guys to have a great weekend of watching college football. Yeah, uh, that that's for sure. Uh, Nate from, from the larger perspective, Kevin Warren leaving essentially the deal unfinished and then how the big 10 responded by taking so long to to find somebody to replace him and everything that happened since then. Can you just take us through how you think this affects 
the larger picture here because it's not just about Penn State and and they're playing on a Friday. It's also about this sort of arms race. It, it's about the SEC and they seem to be in lockstep. They don't seem to have these issues. Suddenly the Big yeah. Ten, who was pushing forward now, has this sort of mess on its hands. From that perspective, is this a blip on the radar? Are they back on track from what you, kind of your opinion of that? And uh, we'll go into a little bit of the details, you know, as you see fit here. I just think that it's a question of who, how are you, how, how are you making your decisions? What are, what are, what are the guiding principles behind how you behave as a conference? And I mean, James Franklin has talked about this and I don't think it's any secret at this point. The big 10 has pursued the dollar at every turn, <laughs> right? Like that, that is, that, that was the impetus behind the nine game conference schedule was to add a, another week of product to sell at a, at a higher rate than non-conference games, you know, Friday games, like you name it. Uh, so many of these decisions have been made about, about that, right? Uh, even, even, uh, Southern Cal and UCLA, right? Yeah. Those are those are decisions that have been dictated primarily and overwhelmingly by the financial implications. Yeah. And there's a reality to say, hey, the SEC has not done that. And look at how it has served them from a competitive standpoint, right? Uh, having eight games. With the ultimate the goal schedule. being the college football playoff, and is that a monetary? Because that you can also say that's a monetary thing, getting more players into that four-game playoff, um, right. and then winning it. What, what's the value of winning it? I guess uh, as opposed yeah. to maximizing your value year-round. I I always I always struggle with things like this that are probably quantifiable, but also not easily accessible. Right? Like yeah. what is what is the actual value of having two teams into the college football playoff? Yes, there's a payout that you distribute evenly among right within the conference. So there, there's a, yep. there's a hard monetary value to that, but also what's the value of becoming the dominant sport or, or like the dominant conference in the sport, having that perception nationally that you are the, the conference that has the most success. I, I just think it's, it's wide ranging, wide reaching, and it's, it's hard to, it's hard to exactly understand exactly, like how far it goes, yeah. how, how far those implications go. But I do think that there's a pretty solid argument to be made that the Big Ten is not winning national championships. The SEC is, uh, right? Like bo bottom line, like what do you yeah. what do you want to do? Do you want to make a lot of money? And and I'm not, I, I don't even really feel necessarily that strongly one way or the other because I, I understand how the college athletic model works uh, in terms of raising funds and, and all of that stuff to, to make this a sustainable model. But if, if the goal is to win national championships in a sport, the sec is undeniably doing it better than the big 10. Yeah. Do you think that the acquisition of the PAC 12 um, will change that? And do you think that this whole situation stunted that uh, plan? I don't know. Because <laughs> from from that perspective, adding USC, another team that has every year kind of a realistic shot at making the the college football playoff, 
also because they play in the Pac-12, which will yep. change when they play in the, in the Big Ten. Um, it just seems like that's uh, pursuing the dollar, I always thought was pursuing the championship. Like that's how you grow by adding more money. You have more opportunities, more access, more resources by adding more money. But, you know, getting to the college football playoff these next four years, I guess from a short-term and a long-term standpoint, is is – is Penn is Penn State in the right conference that is going to be you know in the dominant position in five years based on kind of their the way they're doing this? Yeah, I don't. I mean, look, the uh, the Big Ten is settled. That's not right. Penn State's not leaving. That's not on the table. No, that's not. No, no, no. I just it 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 is what it is in terms of today's reality. It's just a matter of does the twelve team. Does the 12 team playoff change results, right? Like, does it, does it prepare, do, if given the opportunity, do more Big Ten teams get into a Final Four yeah. uh, under a 12 team format than they would in, in a traditional just getting into the, the 14 college football playoff? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's all stuff that we're going to have to wait and see, but I, I just think it's, it's very clear how, and this Penn State Friday game being a very small indicator of it, of this mindset and this mentality of, hey, look, uh, it might be inconvenient to you. It might, it might not, uh, it might not serve you well as a football program, but there's a monetary gain on the backside of this that makes it worth it. If Penn State is, if Penn State is eleven and zero going into that game, and it's a Friday afternoon game, the day after Thanksgiving. I don't know for a road game of which you started the season on the road. Like, I don't know. I think, I think that if I was Penn state, I would have a a significant number of objections that I could very easily rattle off of, Hey, like what, what, why is this constantly, or why is this consistently putting us into a bad position? Are you trying to get your good programs into the college football playoff or not? And right. this does not seem to me to be something that is a conducive decision. If you think that Penn state is poised or set up to make a run this year, making this kind of a decision is not conducive to help. I mean, certainly it doesn't help. Like what's the benefit of it? There's right. no benefit to Penn state. It's so, a Thursday night know. football game in, in a lot of ways where they want to get a, a quality matchup. Michigan State, Penn State over the time has been a quality matchup, whether it's a blowout or not. They want to get it in a, in a primetime spot where they're going to be. I don't I think they might be going up against an NFL game at that point because the NFL is going to play Black Friday game. But they want those eyeballs They're They're very much going with a professional model here. Fitz, did you have yeah. something you wanted to add? Yeah, like I said, I can't overemphasize that Penn State's not a fan of this. Like it's it doesn't help them. It's not. I mean, I think Nate was kind of getting at it. You're you're at the end of the season. You're beat up. We saw the offensive line. They trotted out in November last year. Like you should be better this year, and and hopefully they they don't have the injury issues they do. But it's a long season, and at the end of it, you're taking a day off of it to play a Michigan State team where weird things happen. So yes, I I can you can. You can put a long list of reasons why Penn State shouldn't want to play in this game, but it's also above their heads, and uh, there's really not much you can do about that. Um, it's tough, man. So, like, what do you what do you do? You you, you complain? What what's that going to get you? You know. So that's where I'm at with that. I uh, I agree with Nate with the um, with the added caveat that they're fine. I mean, you want to be in the SEC or the Big Ten? Just deal with it. you know. That's yeah. uh, that's kind of where you're at. All right, well, let's get to what our viewers and listeners want to talk about. That is the BWI Mailbag. 
Dave, he's here right off the bat to help us out. Like the video. Always appreciate Dave's uh, comments and questions in the chat. A couple things to clean up here. Um, when people leave us super stickers, I love that. It's a donation to the channel. If you want to be like Eric and you want to donate to the BWI live show, appreciate that. I wish I could show your super sticker, but that's more of a chat thing. So appreciate you and your donations. He uh, does ask a question here. What's happened with Jalen Harvey? Uh, Penn State defensive end target Jalen Harvey. He said he's just said his recruitment is 100% open, thought he was a PSU lock. I think there's some confusion about lock versus committed here in the chat, but Fitz, can you uh, give us some clarity on Jalen Harvey, Penn State, how that relationship has developed over the spring? Yeah, nothing's really changed there. Um, it, it's it's a way to get out and show college coaches that they want to have this interest and they want to have you there. Um, Harvey just says he's he's open. I mean, he's he's been open. He's never been committed. He's not like he's not been on the verge of committing. I think that's an interesting thing to remember or an important thing to remember with Harvey. His original timeline was to take his visits in the fall and decide in like December. That's not going to happen. That wasn't going to happen. Um, so like anything up into that, like you're, you're sort of backtracking here. So we thought that he may feel the itch and pop in April, but that's, speculation on our end you know that's not a thing that he came out and said he's stuck to his timeline the entire time so he's going to take more he's going to take official visits in june that's always been part of the plan he has changed his official visit schedule Uh, i think ohio state used to be on there it's not on there anymore uh penn state his visit date has changed um but like it's still the same group of teams similar group of teams that that's still in there i still think the penn state is in a prime spot um but he's not going to be a guy that's just going to be pushed into that um, into making a decision. So I think that that's where things stand with Jalen Harvey. So like Penn State's a, in, a, in a good spot. Um, Penn State has him high on his board. What's interesting here is, um, to me, 6'2", 250. So defensive end's got a lot of um, a lot of twitch, very good mm-hmm. off the edge. Um, is he a defensive end in the long run? He keeps adding weight. That's a, that's a good question to ask. Yeah. But at the same time, you you wonder how many programs, and I mentioned his Ohio State visit was now off, how many programs are going to keep the door open for a 6'2", 250-pound defensive end? Really, again, really good player, but does not fit the prototype of what you're looking at as a defensive end. So um, mm. I think uh, USC still has a visit. I think Florida still has a visit. There's a couple other schools. Maryland's still in there as well. Um, but Penn State has continued to keep him as a priority. He's one of those top guys uh, for Deion Barnes at defensive end. Uh, this isn't a situation where they've, cooled or anything like that it's just this kid is not going to be pushed and forced into a decision he wants to take his visits and you know when you're looking at this taking a step back from it in the macro view you know take your visits if you can take your visits it's just a matter of don't get shut out uh, at a place that you want to go and and right now he's not in danger of getting shut out uh next question here is from beaver hill i apologize another awesome transition here by t frank um Beaver Hill asks, and I think this is a great question based on the conversation we just had about Black Friday games, the Big Ten and their plan for how they want to operate in college football playoff. Based on numerous factors like portal, NIL, conference realignment, etc. Do you think college football is in a better place than it was, say, 10 or 20 to 25 years ago? I think 25 years ago, 1990s, that's a little too far to go back because it's a radically different game. Um, Nate, do you think that college football is in a better or worse place than it was in the recent past. Oh boy. Uh, I, I don't know. I, 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 look, uh, I'm, I have been not shy about this throughout. I think that the value of college football players uh, is far greater than what 
how they were being compensated in terms of the value of a college education, right? What all, all of the, that was imbalanced. Yep. That, that, it was way out of whack. And so NIL helps even that out. Although even NIL, I don't think is the fix, I, I, right? Because now you're calling on fans and corporations and donors basically to foot the bill for something that really should be coming out of the revenues that are generated from like these vast, vast revenues that are yeah. being created based on based on what they do. So, uh, you know, yes, I think progress has been made. There isn't a single Dan Wetzel said it one time and I will never forget it. He was like, uh, what um, how many college football players have you interviewed that are complaining about NIL? in from the sense of man we wish that we didn't have this life was so much simpler when we weren't making any money at all when we just yeah. had our our room and board and we just we really loved a a, a college education that much no we felt really connected to the average student at our campus and university we really loved yeah. that collegiate feel correct nobody's saying that and the reason nobody's saying that is because obviously everybody appreciates money like it uh, it's money. It, yeah. Money helps. It helps and fixes a lot of things, creates problems at, at points. But yes, it it, uh, it it is a massive step, I think, in the right direction for the value that they create in the game. But, uh, you know, transfer portal, like all that stuff. I, I think that the things that have that have transpired over the last 10 years have overwhelmingly helped players. Yeah, uh, it's just a matter of what's the timeline look like for the competitive balance of the sport? Because I, I think that that is what is, I'm not going to say that that's a pushback, but that's, that's the next frontier to figure out is yeah. Yeah. conference realignment, figuring out, you know, is it 64 teams, the playoff going to 12 helps that. It, yeah. It's better. It's better. That's the answer. It's better. Yeah. Uh, it took me a while to get there, but yes, it's better than it was 10 to 15 years ago when, you, you know, you had teams, I mean, remember the BCS, like you had, you had undefeated teams being kept out of a national champ. They didn't have an opportunity yeah. to play in a national championship game. Yeah. So this is better. I, I think it's messy, but it is better. I agree with you there that there are, you know, I hate the term unintended consequences because it makes it sound like what we've done, uh, you know, kind of as a, as a society around this is like a negative and there are problems, but there were, I think, as you pointed out, and I agree with you, major problems with the imbalance of the money that was generated by television and the interest and love in the sport and uh, where that money was going. So I, I, I'm on board with you. If, if nobody makes money, that's fine. If everybody makes money, that's fine. But some people making money and others not, that was always a problem to me. Fitz, do you, do you have a, uh, an opinion on this of better, worse, neutral over the last, nothing, let's say, nothing 10 really strong. Um, and we're always going to remember things better than they actually were. So like these changes, sim like similar level changes have come before and have, you know, been in line to ruin the sport as people think NIL is. And we keep trucking along here. Now our billion dollar in industry. So like it's, yeah. it, you know, things are going to come in and change some things. Uh, the BCS, a great example, uh, transfer portal, of course, you know, I, th I think there are things that could be regulated better. Absolutely. Um, in regards to portal in regards to NIL and, and, you know, get actual rules in there and, and rules that benefit both sides. You know, you, you see the stuff that was presented this week and it's basically the NCA's laundry list about how they would do NIL, which is completely favoring, you know, the, the NCAA and not the players. So like, there's a balance here and, you know, more rights and more, you know, 
more opportunities to be compensated for players is is a good thing like it's it's something and it's and it's you know this this is this is a pro sport right yeah like and we talk about you know college amateur athletics but this is a pro sport like this is how this has gone and we've seen things that are on track to to ruin college football before and they just keep going so i i yeah. I, I, I see changes in the future absolutely um to go into those two big conferences uh continuing to be um uh just uh a sport that's a, I don't want to say an NFL minor league, but kind of in that, in that realm, you know, this, yeah. this is the, this is the way that things are headed. Um, and you can still get a great product out of that. And you can still get a great product that connects to these colleges. And I think that's the heart of college football is how you connect to these universities, how you connect to the, to, to your roots and things like that. It's kind of different than, than the connection you have to pro teams. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it, it's fine. Like there are going to be things that need ironed out, but that's any direction that you're going to head from that. And, as we get into collective bargaining, as we get into hopefully those TV deals resulting in better, um, you know, compensation for the players, that's just something that needs iron out. And again, there were bad, bad things in 10, 20, 50 years ago in college yep. football. And, yeah. you know, they, they seem to have, have been, or not Penn State, but college football has seemed to, to climb on like the, uh, um, you know, proverbial engine of steamrollers, but that was baseball and field of dreams. So if anybody caught them, I'm sorry. Um, but no, I think, I think, the, uh, I think college football is fine. I think it's uh, in, a, in a good spot right now. And they're just gonna have to figure out the, the best way 10 years from now to turn this into a competitive product. You, you mentioned uh, the revenue sharing. And I think that's why when, when we're talking about conferences and their plans for the future and Nate, you said they're going after the dollar They're They kind of have an NFL model about we're going to put our guys um, and our teams on in, in premium spots to increase their value and their exposure. If we're headed this way, you need to make as much money so that when you are the executive, you're not sharing all the revenue and your pie is bigger. So, I mean, to me, in that sense, I think Penn, uh, Penn State is a part of a conference that is heading towards the right destination of, of you know, acquisitions of the Pac-12 and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, David wants to know, though, in this context, how big of a problem is what Warren left behind, uh, Kevin Warren, going to be a problem for Penn State? Uh, we covered this a little bit. Do you have any other thoughts here? He he donated the channel, so I want to make sure he, he got his question heard. But, Nate, do you have any other kind of thoughts about unintended consequences for Penn State in the way that things have happened at the top of the Big Ten? Not, not that I haven't already said. No, sorry. Appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think, well, sorry, before we get into that, like, I think Penn State as one of the bigger budget ones, uh, bigger budget mm -hmm. programs in the Big Ten will be okay. I think it might sting a Minnesota uh, in mm -hmm. Indiana, something like that, because of all the money that you expected to have from this TV deal. Maybe not, maybe now not getting as much. Um, so I think that that's an unintended consequence. But I think Penn State, as one of the bigger schools, as one of the bigger spenders, I guess, um, you know, bigger budgets in the Big Ten, I think that'll that'll be okay for Penn state. It's going to be, it's going to be a mess like uh, for somebody to clean up, but I don't know that you're going to see it on the surface as, as something that affects um, Penn state or the big 10. And again, like they're going to I'll say do what's best for the conference. But then again, the guy that just left didn't do what, what was best for the conference. Yeah. Um, Xander says in the chat, he, he hates the idea of switching conferences like USC and UCLA conferences are, these made up things like these are yeah. made up constructs like they you can you don't have to be 10 schools in the big 10 that was proven you know 30 years ago <laughs> right. uh, like these are things that you expand for the benefit of the member institutions for the member of this 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 made up thing so 
I think you continue to get bigger. I like, I, I've always said that, you know, you're, you're thinking two 20 team conferences, um, a cast system, as someone said in, in the chat here, like that makes sense. Like the big, the big fish will eat. And I think Penn state is in a fortunate spot, not only to be in the conference they are to be, but to be a program of the, on the level that they are. Yep. Uh, let's go on the field here quickly for this question. Xander says, would you guys agree that it would be a big letdown if Penn State didn't go 11-1 and this season? He says Penn State needs to get over the hump being the little brother in the Big Ten. There's a lot of uh, opinion in the question there uh, in terms of how he feels about that. He says it right out uh, at the end of the question. Nate, this is the last year to get into the four-team playoff. Yeah. Do you think that matters? Uh, yeah, I, I, I do. I, I think it matters. I, I don't. I, I just think that the margin of error is so small that categorizing it as a big let that like would it be? I, 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 I don't know anybody. I mean, is anybody picking eleven and one? <laughs> like, like, are you are you guys going to put eleven and one as your preseason prediction? Because to me, that's not. I don't. I don't know that that's where I'm at. Um, y- you know, I, I think that ten and two is is pretty reasonable. And if they go eleven and one, that 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 would be outperforming. So I, I, I just, I, I'm not quite in the same place as he is because I, I also, I mean, look like the way that these things play out dictate our perceptions. If they yeah. go 10 and two and lose to Michigan and Ohio state. Okay. I, I understand your disappointment. Are you less disappointed, more disappointed if they go 10 and two and win at Ohio state, lose to Michigan at home and then lose at Illinois. Yeah. I was going to say an early you know, season loss. Right. But then you, you rebound know, like, and finish strong. Right. Yeah. I, I, I just, it's really hard for me to, to navigate that ahead of a season in terms of what expectations should be and, and how to, I don't know. I, I just, um, it's not that I don't like questions like that, but I don't know how to answer questions like that because I don't, I don't really see it that way. Fitz, uh, do you have hard opinions on this? I, I I got a kick out of the second part of the question that said we need to get over the hump of being the little brother in the Big Ten as if an 11-1 and season is going to do that. Michigan State <laughs> went to a four-team playoff, and they are still a little brother in their state. Yeah. Like, this is not going to change perception of anything. It's going to help. And, and you think that Penn State, with the talent they have on this roster, this is their window, especially in 23, because you're looking at guys – uh, departing on that defense after the 23 season. Um, yeah, this is this is their opportunity. So, but it's not going to change perception. You know, it's it would take a lot more and stringing together 11 and one seasons like Ohio State has done to to move up in that. I mean, it's 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 really. Um, I think that's a small picture, big picture type thing. But uh, yeah, it's not going to change the perception. Even going 11 one, which is they're certainly capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see how some things play out with a first year quarterback. It's hard to make that proclamation in May and sort of stand strongly behind it. Yeah. I, I, uh, go ahead. I just want to have, I just want to have one thing because, because I do think it's you both wanted to follow up. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I, I do think it's relevant to say, look, Penn state has been in the conversation as like a top 10 team that isn't really in a position to get into the playoff right other than 2016 that was the closest that they came you could yeah. make a, an actual argument there but they've they've had four of these now right 16 17 19 and this past season where they finished with two losses and and were in that conversation as a a top a top 10 team at the end of the year but like being being a 
being a bigger part of the conversation, having that opportunity that they had in 2016. I don't, I don't know what that looks like. If it's two losses, if it's one loss, whatever it is, I think that putting yourself in a position to get to the end of the season and be able to argue for yourself either as a shoe in or at least say, hey, you know, we, we did enough uh, getting to the Big Ten championship game. What what have you? Yeah. yeah, I think I think that they that you can. There's a validity to the argument, at least internally, forget the external perceptions, at least internally to say, yeah, they're, they're ready for that. This program yeah. has been in this spot for years and not being part of that conversation this year. That would be a disappointment. I think I think, I think it also goes you know coincides with does Ohio State take a step back you know it hasn't been yep. perfect for Ryan Day uh, he has not had the the ride that uh, um, previous head coaches have had he's been, obviously he's been very good getting his team into the college football playoff but it hasn't been the undefeated run in the Big Ten that it was for Urban Meyer um, so I I think that there is a little bit of that as well where you're talking about how are they in the conversation the one thing I would say is I would relate it to this, and this is the only reason I would agree with that question. When when the NFL expanded to uh, the extra wild card and the Bills had not made the playoffs in 20 years, I didn't want a consolation prize. I wanted 20 years of, of frustration validated by a legitimate playoff spot, not an extended playoff spot. I wanted to yep. be one of the teams that made it in in the traditional sense. So yep. if Penn State in this era... They'll take a, you know, Penn State fans, Penn State will take getting into the college football playoff whenever. But it would feel a little bit sweeter being one of the last teams to finally get in, knowing there is an intense amount of gatekeeping uh, from the, the standard four play, players in that field anyway. Uh, next, we got a lot of great questions today. We're not going to be able to get to all of them. I apologize. But this is going off that question. This is a great follow up to that conversation. Losi's mustache over on Blue White Illustrated message board form. He posted um, not much of a question, but more of a here's what USC is doing with their NIL and why they got guys out of the transfer portal the way they have the last couple years. So I rephrase his question. Should Penn State be concerned about USC making Penn State the fourth team in the Big Ten, where right now they are the third, and at one point they were 2B. Now are they going to be pushed down to maybe the fourth team in the pecking order in the Big Ten? Fitz, what do you think about how USC fits into that in the long-term picture? I would say yes. Like, I, I, I mean, I'm not sure how this is all that sustainable for everyone, but, like, USC has done a pretty good job. I mean, Bear, Bear Alexander posted his newest department. Um, and I don't think he's getting that in state college. So, um, you know, you, I think this is a certain, certainly, um, if you find the schools that have attacked NIL a little bit more and, and like not everybody's getting as much as you probably think they are, but like USC has been aggressive in using the portal in doing everything that they need to do to get that, get those guys to campus in back channeling, as we'll call it to get guys, um, that, you know, suddenly enter the portal and a week, week later they're committed you know that's kind of how these things work they've been more aggressive and i think that's the thing to take away from it is is usc will i think automatically become one of those more aggressive schools in the big 10 probably slightly ahead of uh, of penn state in that manner like i said penn state's still up there but i think usc has done a they've bought in they've figured out how to work this system and use it to their benefit and i'm not sure that a lot of schools in the big 10 have done that on that level of aggression Let's go to another on-field question. 
get things, mix things up a little bit. Stephen Light, regular here on the show. He's already donated the channel, so we're getting his question on uh, the show. So thank you. Uh, Mike Yersich has run the quarterback in the past uh, at other schools quite a bit. Uh, this past season, uh, this past year, he seemed to do that less. How much do you think he plans on using Aller as a rusher? Um, I have some thoughts on this. I think it, it, there's a lot of different factors that go into that. But uh, Fitz, I'm going to come back to you. How do you feel about Aller, the run game? I know this has been a conversation topic that's been bubbling under the surface with the Bo Perbula talk as well. But how do you answer this question from Stephen Light? Well, first off, use the guys he has behind him. Like, <laughs> use Singleton, <laughs> use Allen, and keep Drew clean. Um, but I will say this. It's not, I mean, he's not going to run as well as Clifford. Clifford was an an efficient runner, I would say. I wouldn't call him a a great runner, but, you know, he got, he got yards out of what he was, what he was given and, you know, was actually a pretty sufficient goal line back. If you would, you know, give him credit for some of the runs that he finished off over his career. Um, You know, I think you, you, it has to be a part of your game. You cannot take the quarterback. You know, I know Drew is 6'5". He's the pocket passer. You know, you're going to label him as a statue. He's not that fast, although he can move a little bit. You can't take that out of your game because if you do that, you're you're screwed in terms of game planning, in terms of defenses, you know, sort of selling out and taking away the, the other guys. Yep. I don't think they're going to run him much, but I think that you have to have that in your playbook. You have to have that as an opportunity. And Drew's done it a little bit before he did it at the high school level. He did it, uh, you know, a little bit maybe a little bit too much uh, in his limited appearances this year um, where he took off instead of, uh, you know, trying to, uh, eh, trying to, trying to make something happen. But I like, uh, I like him, the option he provides as a runner, but I don't, I don't Mm want to see it. Like, I I don't want to see you leaning on that and turning into 2020 all over again. So to answer your question, probably more than you would think given Aller, but less than Sean Clifford. So, there's a, there's a couple of things that I always think about from a philosophical standpoint, from an offensive perspective. But I'll start with just the the reality of if you call a read option on a play, and this is what Fitz is talking about of like you have to keep the defense honest. If the defense crashes on the running back, the quarterback has to keep the football. That is the read. So that is what we're talking about keeping the defense honest. So. It, if if it, it's a part of Mike Yersich's offense, so it's not necessarily Mike Yersich calling runs for him. It's about the threat of the offense and the threat of Nick Singleton. And some of the conversation we had last year on the lines and message forum was, is, is Sean Clifford making the right read here? Should he be running more? And should he not be giving the ball to Singleton and Allen as much given what the defense is doing? And that's a huge part of the conversation. But generally, when it comes to running the quarterback and using quarterback-designed runs, using what uh, we've talked about before, of like the quarterback is a cheat code for the offense because you get an extra blocker, you get an extra gap, all those things to help the running game. To me, that is a that's a systemic problem if you're using that too much because the actual efficient runs with, as Fitz said, the running backs, those aren't working. So if he's running a lot from a des- from a creative design standpoint, not from a read option standpoint, that is a problem. To me, that's saying that the offense is not functioning properly and they're using that cheat code to try and spark something. That's when you have a problem. So you got to know what the situation is when the quarterback is running more so than just that the quarterback has the ball in his hands because it can be from a couple of different situations. So hope that helps. I, I think when we talk about... Um, Oklahoma State, too, the talent you have. Mason Rudolph, not a runner. The guy after him was a running quarterback. So you've got to know also the talent and what you have at your disposal. As we just, as, as Fitz described, 
uh, Allard not the most elite runner of all of the players you might put out on the field. Fitz, come back to you one last time for this question because uh, we got these early, they came in before the show, and I want to make sure we get to them. Uh, Joe says, morning, y'all. Love the show as always. Curious what the feedback has been on Dion Barnes in Philly. What do you think the uh, return on investment is for this cycle and 2025? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's good. Everybody already knew Dion, so, like, I don't think you're going to get any specific, like, pluses or anything like that but he's he's in there um 2025 is a an, another good year in philly um mathis um uh, at imitap is is a guy that he's honed in on since i think he was an eighth grader so like that that's one of his guys that he's been on for for the longest time so you've got um an opportunity to continue to build on what's there um i, I mean i, I think I don't want to say the litmus test is, is Malachi Williams, but that's a, that's a big one for him in 2024. And obviously he needs numbers. He needs talent. He needs a, a bunch of, he's going to have the opportunity to take a bunch of defensive linemen in his first year. But Malachi Williams is sort of that, uh, that guy that you're looking to as, you know, is, is this the real deal with Dion Barnes? And I think Penn state's in a good spot. I think it's Penn state or Notre Dame. He's got a couple other visits for June. Um, but I think that's the way that, or that's what you're going to look at and fair or unfair. That's the, that's the one he's going to be judged for in, in Philly in yeah. 2024. He's in Malachi Williams, you know, did a little bit of advanced scouting, watching him and comparing him to some of the other guys you mentioned Jalen Harvey on the show um, in terms of a pure prototype. I, I think Malachi Williams is the guy in this class. And that's, you know, being in Philly and all that stuff is is a is a part of that conversation. Staying a defensive end for one last question. Hey, guys, love the show. Heard nothing next to nothing about Smith Vilbert. Is he still on the team? And uh, MED here says he, he likes what Vilbert brings, has some natural ability, but obviously the position is loaded with talent. Um, Fitz, uh, what's the situation that you are aware of and what are your thoughts on Smith Vilbert playing defensive end for the Nittany Lions in the fall? Yeah, he came back. He was eligible for the spring. Uh, he was hurt, so he didn't get out there. And uh, it's, it's, it's a tough situation because he's got some really good defensive ends in front of him. Yep. And he also has that. Um, so the Outback Bowl, a bit misleading, you know, Penn State's, uh, I think, yep. all-time record in a bowl game for sacks or something like that now, or the Outback Bowl record for sacks or something. A bit yep. misleading in terms of what his expected production was. The guy says it. He's got an NFL frame. He looks amazing. Like, he looks incredible. Um, but he, there's, a, there's a lot in front of him. And on, when injuries pile up on top of that, there's a lot more in front of him. So can he pass? I don't think he can be in that top three with, uh, with Adisa Isaac, Chop, and Dennis Sutton. Um, can he pass even a man, a mean Vanover and, uh, Zariah Fisher? I, I don't know. I mean, we're going to have to wait and see, but he has not been there. Um, he's got a ton of, I mean, he's all potential right now. Like that's yep. all he's uh, aside from the production against Arkansas, he's all potential. And that's uh, going to be something you have to sit around and wait and see if he's, uh, if he's healthy enough and, and ready to, uh, contribute on that level. Cause that defensive end room is pretty good. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Okay. We have one last mystery question coming in here at the end. This one from. Oh, T. Frank. Oh, hey, what are you grilling for Memorial Day or what is your signature dish for barbecues and picnics? Nate, what's going on the slow cooker? What are you doing for Memorial Day as our resident foodie? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know what? Probably some hot sausage, peppers, onions, uh, hamburgers, cheese, you know, pretty standard fare. I, I doubt that we're going to uh, like Fitz is actually the the grilling connoisseur in yes. this place. He's yes, got I multiple get... grills. He's, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm small beans here. I I don't uh, people say that my grill 
it doesn't matter. Anyway, um, go to Fitz. Oh, I just didn't know if you had a signature dish or anything like that. That's why I wanted to ask you that question. But Fitz, I, you are you are the grill master of the group. Um, I'm terrible at grilling, so I want to know what uh, what what's on tap for you and your family coming up this weekend. This weekend, uh, I'm not cooking this weekend. I'm actually oh. headed to Rhode Island. Uh, my old colleague Andrew Callahan is getting married this weekend, so I'm uh, excited to go to his wedding in Rhode Island. Um, not excited to drive to Rhode Island, but here we are. Um, but, uh, congratulations to him. I'm a smoker and a griller. Um, nice. my, my grill does both. Um, if you come to a tailgate, uh, if it's a big tailgate, I did a brisket last year, big fan of pork belly burnt ends. Uh, those things are fantastic. Um, I can basically do a little bit of everything, you know, we do the meal prep at the beginning of the week with the chicken thighs. And, uh, I've gotten really into smash burgers this, uh, this spring, it's been a good smash burger season, but, uh, yeah, do a little bit of everything. Um, Nate's been over and when I've catered before it's uh, I, I, I don't like to go small. Like it's been, I'm a, I love you know, that. I'm, I'm the meme. I'm in my late thirties. I'm a white guy with a beard. I, I have to get into smoking meats. Like that's what, <laughs> that's what I do now. So that's kind of where I'm, where I'm at with that. So I'm a, a big on the grill and uh, I just like to keep variety. Um, anything, anything but hot dogs, hot dogs are disgusting. So just uh, that's kind of where I'm at on, on this Memorial day. I, I have to buy hot dogs because my wife insists on them. Really, the, the the in my household, she dictates the menu for Memorial Day. She loves the mac salad, so I do my basic mac salad and then hot dogs. Um, I eat hamburgers. I don't eat hot dogs. But uh, we don't even have a grill right now because we just moved into the house last fall, and we haven't really gotten the spring-summer stuff set up yet. So I, we'll I see, be... Uh, I see Mark K is smoking a brisket for the first time this weekend. Good luck, buddy. Those things... Take some some give and take. Um, YouTube is huge for that. Um, that was a uh, that was that was something I learned in terms of from the trim to the to the coat to the cook. Those things are uh, those things are are tough sometimes. So good luck with that. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Also, I saw Mike was commenting earlier. It's, it's National Mike Day, so happy ha- happy National Mike Day to Mike. Hey. Happy National Mike Day. This will be the last time you hear from us live here until next week because we're off for Memorial Day. I wanted to get a little bit of flavor there, pun intended here, uh, for Mm. what's coming up this weekend for everybody. So thank you for a ton of work. Uh, This is the first time that we're going to take a day off from the live shows. I don't even remember the last time we did that. So we're, we're enjoying the start of summer, the unofficial start of summer with Memorial Day. Hope you do as well. But that doesn't mean we're gone. We're going to have other content coming up on Blue White Illustrated on the YouTube channel. Of course, BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. That's going to be uh, hopping as well. Once again, subscribe $29.99 for six months. And, of course, subscribe here on the YouTube channel. Thomas Wright Carr, that's Nate Bauer, Sean Fitz. We'll talk to you in a bit.